All right, good morning. Pete Giuliano. It is, let's see, hold on. It is Saturday, September 19th, 2015. And I sincerely, I th- is this 180? 180, you oh, got man, it. Man, you're busting your drums all across the <laughs> country and around the world. Yeah, there you go. All right, all right, Pete Giuliano, we had a lot of fun last time. We talked about the, uh, on the Solder Smoke 10th Anniversary Edition and got a lot of nice feedback on that. That was a lot of fun. But time marches on. Oh, yeah. We've got projects to report on. And I know you have been extremely busy out there in the Newberry Park Laboratory and Antenna Farm. So why don't you start out by bringing us up to date on all your technological doings. Okay, Bill. Well, I, I, I'm going to add a word to the lexicon. A oh, word good. to the lexicon. We'll, we're going to call it J-O-R, the joy J-O-R. of rotation. <laughs> the joy of rotation. Of rotation. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Hey, Pete, you know, this this is a family show. Yeah, I gotta yeah, tell you. I know, I know. It was pretty bad when we had the joy of oscillation. Yeah, yeah. You know, now the joy, joy of rotation. rotation. I mean, I I can hear people just tuning out of this <laughs> in anger. Well, yesterday uh, I ran a test with the mast fully extended and guide, and it was to get the guide lengths and the proper tensioning of the guys, and then I rotated the mast. So it was, there's a YouTube video, but it's hard to see because I had to go back so far so you could see the total, total mass, and it's hard. Yeah, and then when you see that mass, yeah. it's just the mass spinning around it. Yeah. It's not quite as impressive yeah, yeah, yeah. as so, the antenna were on top. Yeah, well, yeah. it was impressive to me because, sure. because it proved out the house bracket works. And there was no binding or anything. In other words, it wasn't there wasn't fits and starts. So it was a smooth rotation. So that was a critical piece of information. You know, you'd hate to put that antenna on there and say, "Oh God, this doesn't work." I'm scared of guy wires, Pete. I, I tell you, I just it, you know I've never had one with guy wires. Yeah, well, it's just, I mean, I, I have a I have a tough enough time getting the dipole between the two trees. The thought of guy wires yeah. and uh, I don't know. And especially in your scheme with the uh, with the rotator down the bottom, that's even more challenging. Well, actually, that's easier. That's easier. Think so. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, I wanted to comment a little bit about the, the three major components: the beam, the mast, and the rotator. And I and I found out the rotator, um, where they rate it at ten square feet, is only good if you bottom mount it. If you if you top mount it, you know, like you had at the top of a mast. And then had a short section. As a matter of fact, they don't want anything more than two feet above the right. rotator for the antenna. And and they say the reason is is that it can't handle the wind loads. But if it's at the right. bottom, it can handle the the ten square feet. So that's really important. Right. Um, I, well, would you just let me tell people they should go to your blog and take a look at the pictures. It's n6qw at n6qw.blogspot.com. Correct. And you got a lot of really good pictures there. And just to review, the scheme, Pete, Pete is building this amazing uh, antenna uh, support system. And he's got a, a, a concrete block in the ground at, that, at ground level, obviously. And then he's got the rota- rotator right on top of that. Then the, the mast goes up, what are you going, about 30 feet? 30 feet, yes, correct. 30, 30 feet. He's got guy wires. And on top, he's going to put a, um, a tri-band three-element. Two-element. Two elements, tri-bander. Yeah, two with, with really cool-looking traps on there. What bands? Uh, 2015 and 10. Oh, man. Yeah. It's going to be really exciting. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah. Well, uh, Bill, you know, I, I'm trying to capture in the blog all, all the little problems that, that are not identified by the manufacturers. Uh, and 
you know, I'm not going to repeat all of them, but just things like, for instance, how do you route the coax from the B? I, I had to go back to the, I had to go back to the B manufacturer, and I said, most times they put a choke ball in this, and they said, oh yeah, uh, that's probably a good idea. Well, it's <laughs> it's, not, it's not in the instruction manual. And, I'm guessing you're not the first one that that, that got this answer. Yeah, yeah, and then the other thing they have this. Uh, well, first of they said, assemble the antenna, and then there's a, a, a pictorial drawing, and there's a small note that says, by the way, be sure you use the anti-corrosion compound on all the metal the metal surfaces. But it's not mentioned, you know, you would think, start by <laughs> the compound, and if I didn't look at the drawing and see the small note, I would have missed it. And Heathkit Heath would have had that in Yeah, there. they would have, they would have. Right. And then the same thing on the mast, uh, the spider mast, I said, look, you're going to get this thing in the air, how do you route the coax? And they said, well, don't tape it to the beam, uh, tower, or the mast, because it'll rotate and you'll break it. I said, well, wh how do you usually attach this? They said, oh, up at the top, uh, the uh, there's a ring that uh, acts for the guy wires. They said, uh, put a couple loops in there and just uh, attach it to the coax. Well, you would think that uh, this kind of information is pretty fundamental. And, I mean, if you yeah. haven't been around the pole to, to do that, around the pole, there you go, to do, this, go. do this kind of stuff, or at least ask the questions, you know, well, how do you handle this? Uh, you, you'd be in deep trouble. So I, I just wonder how many unsuccessful installations there have been because of the failure to include the information. Well, I, I ran it on that. But anyway, we're getting really close to putting the, the beam on the uh, on the mast, and that's probably yet a week away because I have some other preparatory work to do. It's probably good that it's a week away right now because it would be very disheartening to fire up right now because let me tell you, the bands are stinko. <laughs> and really, it's really bad. I mean, if you, you turn them on, you turn on the rigs, and it sounds like there's just this kind of, you know, kind of bacon uh, kind of frying noise across all yeah. the bands. And there's been some sort of solar event, so it's pretty messed up. Yeah. But anyway, all right. Okay. J O R, the joy, joy of rotation. rotation. Yeah. Right. Hey, hey yeah. Bill, back away just a little bit. I, I hear you clipping a little bit. Yeah, let's see if that, that's better. All right. Okay. There we go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like you need a windsock over it, but uh, I do that I, all the time. I, I, yeah. I, I notice you're a very <laughs> uptown windsock. You can see it. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like an old sock with some rubber bands. Is that it? No, it's not. There are there there are rubber bands, but it's it's actually a, ple a piece of paper towel. Oh, okay. <laughs> there you go. You know, when we, when we started this thing, it was it was a, a dried out baby wipe. Oh, there you go. There you go. Un unused. Yeah, unused. 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 Well, this, the second little thing that I'm working on. Of course, most of my time has been consumed with uh, uh, installing the beam antenna. But the uh, second thing I'm working on is a thing called a project called the Simple Seaver. I love it. I love the name. Simple Seaver. And uh, actually, I, there's a YouTube video of this. And uh, I'm trying to put together a, a project. And actually, this is probably uh, just a seed idea for a, for a book that Ben and I are going to work on. And uh, the idea is that uh, it's, it's not quite like the LBS, but it's to take you from a direct conversion receiver and then to step up to the simple receiver. And this working simple receiver right now has just a few components. It's got an RF amplifier, bandpass filter, uh, a homebrew double balance mixer. It has a post mixer amplifier, a three pole crystal filter, three pole right. crystal filter, and uh, then a, a product detector is a dual gate MOSFET and then the audio amplifier stage. And um, 
for the LO, uh, you'll, you'll have a choice of either using a VXO, an LC uh, variable frequency oscillator, or, or AD9850, or an SI5351. So the choice is yours. <laughs> and uh, we purposely picked, uh, well, we purposely picked it. Actually, I went into the junk box, and I found some 12.096 megahertz crystals. And I said, you know, that'll work pretty good because... Um, with a filter at that frequency, you can use a 5 megahertz uh, VFO and put it on 40 meters. So that's going to be the, the band of choice, 40 meters. So we got the Excellent. simple sieber working, and uh, I, I'm encouraged by it. I know. I, I think it's great, and I really like the idea of giving people different options for the local oscillator. Yeah. Because, you know, there's, well, you know let's face it, there's been so much controversy about... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not we're not going to go into that. We, we, Pete and I, you know, on the SI fifty three fifty one, we have come to the conclusion that it's time to kind of live and let live. Yeah. If you guys want, anybody wants to use one, we we've, we will say we've used them and they work fine. But if people who have have you know a real kind of aversion, be it you know technical or ideological or whatever, for whatever reason, the use of the SI fifty three fifty one is not obligatory. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. You don't have to. Yeah. Well, you know, I think what's happening is uh, it's catching on. As a matter of fact, there's this uh, PHSNA. This is the Scalar Network Analyzer. This is a group on Yahoo, and yeah. and they're building this Scalar Network Analyzer big. And matter of fact, it was written up in uh, QRP Quarterly. So quite a falling on it. So someone's come up with a universal board. Uh, for a local oscillator that will include, you can either plug an AD9850 in there or an SI5351. And well, so they're, they, I don't know if they're still taking orders, but they're taking orders for the first lot of 100. Once you get those out there and people are using it, then you're going to have more information. I think people are going to say, hey, this works pretty good for what I want to do, and, and, and then yeah. it goes away. I was I was kind of encouraged that this week we spotted on the uh, the Bidex uh, email reflector a couple of hams in India who have opted to use the SI5351 with their Bidexes and so I mean let let's just see how it all works out I mean I think we, here we go again but it, it is an interesting topic yes. um, I think maybe some people had bad results because they were they were not leaving out that second clock. We yeah. used the first clock and the third clock. Yeah. We found that the bleed over problem was eliminated by doing that. And and also I think, you know, when you when you're trying this thing out, I mean there's there's a lot of wiring uh, between the Arduino and the SI5351 and unless everything when you're doing your tests, unless everything is nailed down pretty well and and shielded pretty well and grounded pretty well, you could get bad results that are not really the result of any problem inherent in the board, but just because of the layout, because it's some pretty sensitive stuff. Hey, but we had another another case with the SF fifty three fifty one with the, with our friend uh, Dean, Dean who's yeah, working on yeah. yeah. And uh, he we, one of the things he did. And I don't think we've really mentioned this. When I use the SI fifty three fifty one in the uh, in the Bidex Digitia, I just go from I just go right from the output of the uh, of the little of the board. Directly into the uh, the appropriate pins on the SBL1 for BVFO and BFO. I don't have any preamp or anything like that. I, I don't even have a, a diplex or anything like that. I just tried to keep it simple and put it right in there, 
and it it works. So well, yeah, yes, I, I agree with you, Bill. And as a matter of fact, we're let's go back in time in the LBS where we use the SI fifty three fifty one into a homebrew double balance mixer whose losses are significantly greater <laughs> than the SBL one. You needed a booster amp to get the signal level up to fully drive the uh, homebrew double balance mixer. But what happened was he had the gain wide open. So he was pumping so much RF in there that you were getting uh, multiple conversions and in, in interaction. He said once he cranked the gain back, then everything settled down. So you yeah, can over, you, overdrive those. You can because, I mean, the, 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 the idea is that the, those diodes are going to be turned on only on the peaks of the, the VFO signal. And if you put so much energy in there, basically the diodes are going to be on like all the time, and it's not going to get the commutating mixer effect. Right. So you got to hit it pretty close to just right. And we've got there have been a number of questions coming in about guys working on DC receivers, trying to play around with the level to get the level right for whatever um, mixer, usually a diode reading mixer that they're using. So it's a kind of a it's a common common question. But the simple simple receiver, I, I love it because I mean this was one of my first big successful uh, receiver projects was Doug Dumas' bare bones super hat, and it was was really nice. I still have it here, and uh, and it was you know as the name indicates a very simple super hat project, and very bare bones. It was also called the Barbados receiver. We've talked about it a lot, and I, I remember writing to Doug Dumas. I found notes. I wrote wrote to him in 1993. Because he, because there was a there was one design that had appeared I think in QRP Classics, but it was for 75 meters, and I wanted to build it on 20, and I wrote to him, and then I found out later on there was an article that, that appeared with that with the bare bones receiver, but a uh, great project, uh, and, and 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 you'll notice a big difference from from the, the the more the simpler receivers that people use. I mean, for me, the fact that it was single signal, ooh. Yes, I wasn't listening yes. to both sides of zero bead. Wow, that crystal filter. It really worked. There, there's another element to this. Uh, we're trying to use dual-gate MOSFETs, and unfortunately all the dual-gate MOSFETs that are available today are surface mount. So we don't want to turn people off. We're going to build dual-gate MOSFETs out of two J310s in Cascade. <laughs> and then the stages through most of the transceiver including that there's a companion transmitter so this is actually going to be a trans receiver it'll be a separate transmitter separate receiver simple transmitter and the common elements are the bfo and the lo but we're trying to use dual gate mosfets throughout all the stages and and you build essentially you repeat build the same circuit over and again used in different parts of, of the receiver and used in different parts of the transmitter so it's going to minimize having to build exotic specialized circuits. You just build this one, maybe add a, an inductor here or add a, a different bypass capacitor, and it can be, that's the beauty of it, a dual-gate MOSFET. It can be a, a mixer, a loss oscillator, can be an amplifier, all, all these things, just how you configure it and how you bias it. So I love I loved that 40673. I mean, and Doug DeMora used it in so many of his projects. When I, when I heard that, that it was going out of production, I kind of panicked and I went out and bought a whole bunch <laughs> yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're 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 kind of gone, but they've been as you said, there've been a number of substitutes that have come up over the years. Yeah, and I have a big bag of them here. Yeah, there you go. But I like it. But I like your idea of of replicating it with two uh, t 
two JFATs. Yeah, that's that's yeah, nice. Yeah, Why not? Sure. Yeah, and these idea. are readily available. As a matter of fact, I checked the prices on eBay. You can get 50 J310s for 8 bucks. So, I mean, the, the price is very good. That's 16 cents a piece. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> it doesn't break, ba- break the bank, you know, so you, you have enough to do it. And, by the way, a lot of the circuits that we're using are very similar. I, I hate to say this, in the solid state <laughs> design manual for the radio amateur. Lots of dual-gate MOSFET projects in there. So we're, we're looking at that saying, hey, this is something old, but it works. So why not use it? And update it yeah. with uh, maybe the, the ultimate is the SI-5351 supplying the LO signal. Well, I like also the, the idea of the dual-gate MOSFET. I always liked it because it was, it was kind of easy to understand. I mean, you saw yeah. one signal going in on one of the gates, the other signal going in on the other gates, and you could almost visualize how the mixing was taking place. It was almost like a, you know, like a, almost like, you know, the, well, the parallels with vacuum tubes are very, very strong. You know, where you put one signal on the grid, one signal on the other grid, and, and there you go, and you've got a nice mixing action yes. going on. The, the other thing, too, is if you uh, bias gate two uh, properly, you can control the gain uh, when used as an amplifier. So you have an opportunity to add AGC or ALC or manual RF gain control. So there's, there's you know, it's kind of built in uh, a lot of functionality that you might not have just using a, s- a simple single transistor. So uh, we're kind of excited about that. I think it's great. I, I, I really, you know, we, we got a lot of people to build the, the, the uh, Michigan Mighty Might. There's a few projects that are still in the works. But I always thought that the next step was to get people to build receivers because, man, that was, uh, for me, that was a big milestone when I got that, when I got a receiver going. I felt like a a true home brewer. Well, you know, it's interesting you should mention that. Where this came from was the guy that sent us the email that said, I built the Michigan Mighty Mike. Now I need to think about a receiver. <laughs> so there you go. That, that's where that came from. Yeah, that, that's it. And, you know, there's a bit of ham radio history or, or lore. Um, I remember when I, even when I was in the Dominican Republic in the mid-'90s, when you talk to the, the hams down there, Many of the old timers would say, "Oh yeah, yeah. We, when in the old days, we knew that we could build our own transmitters, and we built our own transmitters. But we were always told that a receiver was really beyond the capabilities of most hams. So we felt compelled to to spend a lot of money and get a commercial receiver. And and I found that that kind of way of thinking was around for a long time. And that's why there's marketing, think, <laughs> marketing. You can't <laughs> yeah. build a receiver." <laughs> Don't even try. Yeah. I mean, these guys, these guys were making transmitters. You know, one of the things they used for, for the chassis, they had trouble getting the chassis. So as, as youngsters, they would go out at night and steal the um, stop signs. Ooh, yeah, that'll work. <laughs> that'll work. <laughs> Some of those stop, I think the Dominican statute of limitations has expired, but I know a few people who, who did that. And, um, <laughs> cake pants, but, but, cake pants. Yeah, well, yeah, they would do some, cake some, Beyond cake pans, I think. Uh, anyway, they, um, but a lot of transmitters, not a, not a, not a lot of receivers, and it's, it was really always untrue because you you know, you know. I guess well, I guess the direct conversion revolution didn't begin until Wes Hayward's article in 1968, and then superhats. Yeah, I don't know. You know, people didn't. They could have built them. They could have. It could have been. Could have been fine. Yeah, it could have been more received. 1918. That's when that started. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> Armstrong. <laughs> Armstrong. 
All right. Well, simple receiver. Let's let's get some folks out there and build some receivers and become true home brewer. Listen to the magic that comes from a receiver built in a cloud of solder smoke. There you go. By the way, Bill, I intend to uh, publish on the blog uh, elements of the schematics for the simple receiver. So that'll be coming up here once I get this antenna project nailed down. That's that's going to be the focus of the block. So you you can say start with the audio amplifier, <laughs> build right. this first. <laughs> yeah, you know, and a lot of these things, a lot we get we get a lot of questions about how do I know if the why isn't the receiver working? What how can I do to test it? And you know, with the audio amplifier, we've been saying you know put your finger on yeah, the input. Yeah, simple test. If you're making if it's making noise, then it's good. As far as the oscillator goes, you know, if you have a little shortwave receiver sitting yeah. around. Tune to the frequency that the uh, oscillator is supposed to be percolating at, and if you hear a tone in there or a yeah. signal of any kind, it's probably working. And there, you, there you've just troubleshot two of the vital stages. If it's a direct conversion receiver, you're pretty much done. And yeah. if those two work, yeah. Yeah, if there. the mixer mixes, you're good. Yeah, a- absolutely. Bob, Bob's your uncle. Bob's your uncle. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you've got a lot more press- impressive stuff to talk about, uh, Pete, this, this month. I, I'm, my my uh, home brewing has been kind of paltry in comparison here. I, got, I did um, a repaired. <laughs> it's better when you take credit for repairing something after you broke it. But I, I had to repair my 40-meter um, um, uh, Digitia. The, uh, the TR relay in the back, I managed to break it because I, I was rearranging the shack here. I discovered that I had some rigs that were a little bit too far from where I normally sit, and I wasn't using them too much, so I decided to rearrange things a bit and put the Digitia in a more um, easily accessible position. But in the course of pulling some of the connectors off the back, I managed to break the pin off the TR relay inside. It's kind of hard to do, but I did. I did it, and that so that destroyed the relay. And I knew, okay, I got to find a new relay. It's just a double pole, double throw, twelve volt relay. And I looked around, and um, uh, Jim AL7RV now W8NSA had recently sent me a box of parts, and there was some perfect little relays in there, really nice. So it, it took me it took me an hour or so to get in there, but I got it got it fixed, and we got it got it working. So that was one of my projects, <laughs> not very impressive. The other thing. I, I did was I went to work inspired by Alan Walkie W2AEW who's produced some fantastic videos Alan's videos just went over 4 million views on YouTube there's a whole I think he's got more than 200 videos so take a look I mean just 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 google him on YouTube and you'll find some amazing stuff there he's got this great voice too very very kind of reassuring soothing you really get the sense that if you watch Alan's video You'll be able to do these great technical things, and he's been working on a Drake 2B that he picked up. And uh, he the, the first video was a look on the inside of the 2B. Some of it was kind of scary. He found this one line that the filament line looked like it was burned out all along. The line that was carrying the the, the filament voltage, the six volts, I think, to all those tubes, and all that all those wires were like smoke, crisp, <laughs> crisp, melted. <laughs> And I, a lot of us looked at it and said, ooh, I hope it didn't take out the transformer, yeah. too. But it, it didn't. It didn't. And then the other thing Alan wanted to do was he wanted to replace the uh, electrolytic caps. And you were the one who pointed him in the right direction by recommending this company, Hayseed Hamfest. Great guys. 
Great guys. If you guys are looking to replace the the electrolytic caps in Drake 2Bs, I think they do other rigs too. Yeah, they do. Check out their website because they'll send you the the replacement, and it looks like the original. It's in the same size can, and Alan's video really shows you how to go about doing it. it seems like a simple thing, but I, I learned a lot from watching his video. Oh, oh yeah. He's a he's a real craftsman in there. You, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, Hayseed Hamfest is located in the Midwest, and and here's some guy. He's a ham. Okay, here's some guys that really understand the problem. When I got the replacement for a, um, I, I replaced the. Well, actually, someone didn't replace the can electrolytic in the T4X, and uh, essentially they had all kind of capacitors in the bottom, and it had a hole in the chassis. So I uh, I bought the uh, replacement capacitor, and when I opened the box, you know what was in there? What? It had the braid in it, so you could take the solder out. I mean, can you imagine oh, someone, someone saying, okay, you're going to have to unsolder this thing. You're going to need the desoldering braid. There was a chunk in the box, and I said, you know, <laughs> these guys know what they're doing. <laughs> you know, it's little stuff like that that's important. And when you watch Alan's video, for example... He was using a solder sucker, yeah. but and he was using it quite expertly. But he 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 cautioned. He said sometimes when you use this thing, it has a tendency to spray little solder globules into the rig. And you got to watch out for Murphy's that. Murphy's whiskers. Yeah, like, this would be a different kind of thing. Yeah. Murphy's globules yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man! And then the other thing he he showed was. I was impressed by how he dispensed the solder he was using, because he always had this this reel of solder in a little cardboard box, but he kept it close to the rig, and he just pulled it off, and he used it as he needed it. Now, I find myself lopping off six inches or a foot of solder every time I'm going to make a connection, so by the time I get the project over, I've got this stack of, you know, of six to eight inches of solder yeah. laying around. Now, it's, it's okay. I eventually use them when I run out of the solder on the reel, very economical, very smooth, and that's kind of the kind of the way Alan's videos always are. You oh, always yeah. get a earn a lot from watching them. But anyway, this inspired me to go over and work a little bit on my two B. Nothing, nothing major, but I started thinking about how the um, whether I had the um, the knob on the passband control <laughs> properly placed. It's important. It's important, especially if you're going to be switching back and forth between upper sideband, lower sideband. And um, it's it's kind of tricky because what they're doing with the 2B is that you're you're actually moving the 50kc passband around, which is a very useful feature. Um, and you have to be you have to get it set up properly so that the knob indicates on the front panel that you're in the right spot. Now, you, because you, I found that I had it in the wrong spot, it was okay for the sideband that I was on, but if I tried to switch over to the other side, it it wasn't wasn't happening. And this is important because I've been thinking about what's the best way to listen to AM with the Drake 2B. And I'm going to throw a question out there for our Drake 2B boat anchor aficionados. One of my problems with the 2B, one of my complaints about it, is that it's not really good for AM. It's got a, the, the maximum bandwidth on the, on the receiver is 3.6 kC. And, you know, and when they, what they recommend is that for AM that you put this movable passband right in the middle, but that, that leaves you, you know, with just, you know, a, a, you know 1 1.6, 1 1.7 on either side, right? And that's not enough. 
So I started experimenting with different ways of listening to AM with the Drake 2B, and I came to the conclusion that the best way to do it would be just to zero, to leave the product detector and the, and the BFO on, and just zero beat the carrier, and then tune it as a single sideband system, uh, um, signal. It sounds a lot better, and uh, I just wonder what people think about that. And why did Drake recommend tuning the AM signal that way? It's kind of odd. You know, you've got three KCs of bandwidth, but if you put that bandwidth right over the carrier, you're going to be, you know, just, <laughs> you know, 1.7, 1.8 KCs on either side, which is going to sound really constrained. You're going to be, be losing all the highs on both sides. So, I don't know. I hope the Drake people, Drake fans out there, will will share their insights on how best to listen to AM on the uh, on the venerable Drake 2B receiver. Beautiful, beautiful oh, yeah. receiver. One on the uh, Drake reflector, someone came up with a uh, a a converter that essentially got into the RF part and then built a uh, software-defined type detector and then ran that in the IQ channels and ran it through the system. And they were able to listen to it that way by using the software to, to provide. But I know that's too complicated. Yeah, 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 You know, Dominicans have a phrase that they call that things that don't mix. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah arroz, arroz con mango. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A rose and mango, rice and mangoes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll get to that in a minute. But anyway, I've been working on that. The other thing I did is, is sort of in, in terms of just rearranging the shack. I uh, winter is coming, uh, Pete. So of course it's time to make sure that the uh, the the, uh, the DX100 is in the proper position to assist in the heating yeah. of the shack. Oh, yeah. And also because I, I always want to fire this thing up, maybe on 160 meters AM. That would be great fun. This is the uh, the beautiful DX100 of John Zaruba, actually of his dad. And uh, John, when his father passed away, John was kind enough to drive all the way down from New Jersey and give me this ring, K2ZA. And now I have John. I just I have it. I want you to know it's in a position of uh, of honor here in the shack. And I'm I'm in the process of running uh, coax and power to it. It's paired up with the uh, with the um, Hammerland HQ100. They look good together, and so hopefully we'll be. Heating up the shack and perhaps the ionosphere uh, sometime this winter. You know, Bill, <laughs> I was really disappointed when they when Heathkit went to the DX100B. Now I I bought a DX100B, and my disappointment was the cabinet. There's just something about the original DX100 cabinet. It's like in a this modular heavy duty box, and then that's the one I yeah, have. Yeah, yeah, that's the one you have. have. And yeah. and the later one just had like a you know, wrap around piece of metal on the front panel. It just it looked. Cheesy. It looks like it looks like kind of like an Apache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I like. I got the big yeah, one. It looks like a battleship. Yeah, that's. Of course, so it's really hard to get the chassis and everything out of that thing. Holy it's cow! So cool. I, I, I hey, listen. I'm seriously. I almost hurt myself carrying that thing. <laughs> one yeah, yeah I can imagine. But I had the the, the 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 100 that I had as a kid. Somebody had done a mod. They had cut very neatly. You know, there's there's this mesh up on the top. And they had gone in there, and they would very carefully cut out a door. And it was most of the size of the top, and they put a big, long hinge on it so that you could open that thing up and get access to the tubes. Now, you also are getting access to the 1,000 volts DC on the plate. Oh, yeah. So, wow, another, another a close call that I had as a, a teenage ham. But I, I often wish that I, 
they had something like that because even something is going going in to change the crystals because they have in, you can put crystals inside right. there and switch them from the front panel, which is pretty good because the VFO on that thing. Uh, uh, yeah, moved around, a, moved around a little yeah. bit. <laughs> uh, kind of kind of mobile. Um, but anyway, I, but now to change the crystals, it's like a major operation. You almost need kind of like a forklift. Yeah. You, you know the thing that always amazed me? You have a pair of 811As modulating a pair of 6146s. <laughs> and plate modulated. Plate modulated. And the 811As can put out more power than the 6146s. <laughs> I mean, you can get 340 watts out of a pair of, of 811As. I, I, I just, it, it always, they must have got the tubes cheap. Must have got the tube sheet. Well, you can you could be a tall ship on AM. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Full, full yeah, plate modulated. And you can also get get into everybody's uh, you know <laughs> yeah. smoke detectors and carbon monoxide detectors and computer speakers and everything else. So if you um, if you hear about my um, my arrest by the local authorities here, uh, it may it may have something to do with the DX100. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, so I've got that positioned in. And that, that's pretty much the only things I've been working on. I'm kind of looking around for, for new projects. I got my eye on that HW101 up there. That might be. I'm going to do something with that, and I'm going to follow your lead. I know you, you're way ahead of me on this, as in most other things. But we'll, we'll see. We'll have to see. I have to think of something to work on this, this, this winter. And that might be fun. Hey, Pete, you mentioned uh, JOR, the Joy of Rotation, which we will add to the lexicon right now. Um, but I, you know, in our in our look back at the first ten years of solder smoke, I, we had this section on the lexicon, and there were a couple of important terms that we failed to mention. Oh, so we're going to pick yeah. up that now. <laughs> and I'm going to ask you're going to have to explain one or two of these. Well, uh, well the first one, because it, we didn't even mention it, and it has become such an important part of what we do here, whatever it is we do here. But it's an important part of it. <laughs> Noodling. noodling. We didn't mention noodling. noodling. You were the one who brought noodling to us. So, so give us the uh, the Pete Giuliano official de- definition of noodling as it applies to the radio arts. Well, I, I think the best way to explain that is is the term you use. It's called design build, <laughs> not build. Design. In that order. In that, <laughs> yeah, the order is important. Design build. Noodling is to sit down and think about what you're doing before you do it. Uh, and, and it's amazing if you spend a little time, 15, 20 minutes. I mean, the last thing you want to do is heat up the soldering iron. I mean, that's the last step. And so many times people just start soldering stuff together and say, oh, man, did I screw that up? You know, oh, geez, if I hadn't done this, I could have done that. So noodling is just to think about the whole project. Now, i, I got to tell you, one thing I'm guilty of not noodling, and you do a really good job in this, is I build the circuits and then think about the box. <laughs> oh. You think you start with a box and say, okay, how's this all going to fit? So I need to spend more noodling time thinking about how the project is ultimately going to end up and what kind of an enclosure it's going to fit in versus just having all these boards and driving myself nuts. So uh, that, that's a good example of noodling. Or not noodling, noodling. But, but noodling doesn't actually have to be like formal. It could be just sitting down with a yeah. notebook. Yeah. You look, you're big on graph paper, graph paper. too, which yeah. is a great idea. Yeah. Just you just think about how it's going to go. I, I think I, I I have a picture of what you mean, and it, it's just for example on the on the size of the box. Like a lot of times, I'll just you know because I've been using the same box for the last three projects, I know exactly how much space I have, and I'll sit there and I'll just kind of draw out the real estate yeah. on the board. 
Okay, how much? Where am I going to put this amplifier? Where is the input? Where is the output? And what? Where is the shielding going to go? And you just sort of apportion the space there. You know, as you would with, I guess, with a garden. Where are you going to plant the tomatoes? Where are you going to right. put the the beans and that kind of stuff? And that gives you a guide as you go along. But all right, noodling. So we've got that term. There's, and I just mentioned one that it just occurred to me that we use it from time to time. And it's an interesting term. It's not really a solder smoke term, but it's a term, the radio arts. The radio arts. You know, it, they, somebody made a contribution to the radio arts. Now, I've used it a few times, and I've actually had people write in saying, hey, there's no such thing. Right? Oh, okay. Because I think, they, I think they think that I'm referring to, like, you know, art, like sculpture or painting. No, and, and I think there's also people kind of react to that because they're, they're, they're used to thinking... You know, we're, we're into science and engineering yeah. and not... There's no art involved. It's just... It's all science. <laughs> yeah, right. No, but there's a lot of art yeah, involved. Absolutely. A lot of craft. There's a lot of, sometimes, witchcraft. You yeah. know, sacrificing <laughs> chickens to pop a leg by, that kind of stuff. But I think that that term actually comes from the FCC regulations. Yes. Where they define the purpose of the amateur radio service, and it's, I, I believe, somewhere in there, it says to make contributions to the radio, radio art. art. Yes. I think that that probably comes from the very early days of radio where a lot of the stuff they were doing, really nobody really understood the scientific or engineering principles. It was a lot of cut and try, like, uh, you know, what material to use in a crystal detector, how to make a coherer. You know, a lot of the stuff they were just winging it. And it wasn't until years later that they discovered that they were actually creating PN junctions with a piece of galena and phosphor yeah, bronze. Yeah, yeah. And... Yeah, so I th still think that's a useful term, and we should encourage the use of the radio art. Oh, absolutely. You know, just that you... Not, we're not talking about painting. No, no. J well, of course, the early radios were works of art. I mean, they came in these magnificent cabinets and, you know, all sorts of things. I mean, it was a piece of furniture. <laughs> I mean, when you... Which, 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 which brings us to that video that I showed you that blew you away from AA7EE. Oh! Oh! Oh, man, I can't remember. What's the name of it? It's the Sporty. The, the, the Sporty. Isn't it the Sporty? Sporty? Sporty 3? Something like yeah, that, yeah. yeah. With the I have it up on the engraved I panels. Up on the, I have it up on the blog. What a work of art. AA7EE. Dave. Everything Dave. does. Dave, and, he, and he, 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 he documents it so beautifully. I mean, with the schematics and the pictures, the close-in pictures and everything else. Check it out. It's up on... On the Solder Smock blog, and there's a link to to the AA7EE's blog there too. All right, another term that we didn't get to that we have to discuss, and I do think this one is ours: the radio god. The radio god, yeah. Now we're not being blasphemous here. We're not being heathens. We don't want to make anybody upset. This is all in jest. We don't actually believe that you know Jupiter and Thor are out there controlling things, but um, we just use it sort of like that. You know, fate, yes. or yes. You know, the good vibrations, yeah. or you know, this was meant to be. When things happen and they fall in place, and you know, you you you, you manage to complete the homebrew rig, just as the sunspot count goes to 185 yes. and the A index falls to one, and it just happens to be the right time, and you're on the gray line, and you make that first call, and your first contact is with VK7. Yeah, there you go. That's all. That all happened. We say because the radio gods have spoken. I I, I had to say something. I, I got I, I had a laugh the other day. I was sitting around here in the shack and I had the 
uh, some net on 40 meters turned on. I don't know why I was listening to it because, well, I don't know why. It was just on, and I was just listening, as you do sometimes. And the net control was talking, and all of a sudden she said to another ham, she said, well, I guess it all came together to us, for us. The radio gods were obviously with us today. Yes, yes, yes. Wow. Yes. It's, it's working its way into the culture. Who knows? I might have picked it up from somebody else, but, but I don't think so. Or there's a punishment side to that, Bill. It's like when I put a QRO amplifier on my You, a member of the PLP Hall of Fame. And the amplifier got smoked. Yes, yes. And this this gets back to some ARRL stuff, like the Wufong. The Wufong, yeah. Or the Ritney stick. Yeah, there you go. I, I was always kind of, I, I didn't really like yeah, it. Yeah, you are kind of scary. Yeah, you don't want to go, yeah. that, that's, that, that's their stuff. Okay, We're, we'll stick with the radio guys. But, you know, here's one that you might not, you, I'm sure you heard it, but you might not be familiar with it. And I, I forgot about this, but this is part of the lexicon. The Grand Poobah. Grand Poobah. You know who the Grand Poobah is? You! I am. I am the Grand Poobah. There you go. And, um, you know, I, and I, and I want to thank Brent, KD0GLS, a long-time listener, and he was the one who bestowed this very prestigious title on me. I think it comes from, you know the TV show it comes from? Flintstones. Is it from the Flintstones? Flintstones, yeah, the Grand Poobah. Oh, I, I was thinking that it might have been the Honeymooners with Jackie Gleason. Oh, Maybe. No, I think you're right. It's probably the Flintstones. Yeah, he had, that, he, he, had that, he had that lodge that he went to and with the, the helmet head. The beds or something. Yeah, oh, the helmet. The, yeah, the helmet with the horns. Yeah, That's the Grand okay. Poobah. Brent can confirm this, but we don't, we don't, you know, I don't like to, you know, flaunt my, my rank oh, here. Yeah, so yeah. I don't, you know, but, but people do know that I am the Grand Poobah. We're going to have to think of a title for you. <laughs> there you go. Listeners, send in some suggestions. I am, uh, and I and I got I got yeah, I had a birthday, and I got I recently completed another orbit, and Brent sent me birthday greetings. As did many of our listeners, I thank you all. But I um, I replied. I said um, a, a big seven three from the GPB. Uh, there you go. All right, what else we have on the list? Um, oh, um, magic smoke. We got to mention that this is usually used in the context of he released the magic smoke. We use that from time to time because we do release some every once in a while. I, I've been known to. Yes. <laughs> we want. It, we must make clear to the to the to the to the newer newer listeners that there is no <clears throat> real magic smoke. Some people, I've seen articles where they claim that the way these components work is they all have a certain amount of magic smoke in them, and that if you let the magic smoke out, then they're not going to work. Well. Not really, but, you know, the magic smoke's there. And finally, one other term that came up, and it came up this week in the context of my comments on software-defined radio, which we'll get to a minute, in a minute, I, uh, I admitted that I, am, uh, that I felt my, my, my tendency towards Luddite curmudgeonism. There you go. That's another one of our terms. Luddite curmudgeonism was coming out. And Dexter, down there in New Zealand... Actually, I said, I, I, as I was typing some words about why I don't like software-defined radio, I said, as I was typing these words, I felt the presence in the shack of Ned Ludd, of Luddite fame. I spelled it with one D. Ooh. N-E-D, but then L-U-D. 
Do you think that's correct, or should it be two Ds? I'd almost think it's two. Yeah, well, that's what most people think. But it's also possible to spell it with just one. And if you're a true Luddite, you'll go with the original original spelling, and it was Ned Ludd. There you go. All right. Which brings us, Pete, to software-defined radio, SDR. Now, you surprised me quite a bit when you sent me an article that you wrote on software-defined radio. Now, I knew that with the, with these uh, newfangled SI5351s that you were you have, over the years, been sort of drifting into what I call the dark side. Oh. You know, the, <laughs> but I didn't realize how deep this went. <laughs> this is a, two, a year 2000, 2005, I think. No, it was later. It was like 10... Eight, uh, eight, ten, nine. Right nine. here, hold on. Let's take a look. Let me see. Yeah, summer 2010, QRP Quarterly. P. Giuliano wrote a really good article about software-defined radio, singing their praises from start to finish. <coughs> yes. Uh, um, anyway, I, <laughs> what, what started me thinking about this again was an interview that Eric, 4Z1UG, did on QSO Today. Uh, lately, he's been doing some really great interviews. Yours is coming up. Uh, someday. <laughs> no, I know. You're, you're, you're number 60, and it'll be next week. Oh, okay. Not tomorrow. Next, next week. week. Okay. I talked to Eric about it. But Eric's done some interviews, really good ones, and he did one with Gerald Youngblood. Uh, I think it's K5. Was it K5 or K7? K5. SDR? Yeah, K5 SDR. Yeah. And he is one of the pioneers in software-defined radio. And he's the, he's the founder of Flex Radio, right? And he, in this interview, which is a great interview, and I really came away from the interview really liking Gerald and, and, and admiring him for what he did. But um, he described, and he described in a really great way the kind of the origins of this technology and drew connections between how SDR works and the, the old phasing rigs that were used in the very early days of single sideband. I have one sitting over there, the, uh, my uh, beloved HT37 phasing, you know, I and Q before we t called it I and Q. Um, quadrature. Quadrature, quadrature, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a, a really a neat way of doing things. But So he describes the whole kind of architecture of SDR radios but then it really, as I, the more I thought about it, the scarier it got for me. <laughs> now, to each his own, but there were, Gerald used a phrase in there where he referred to all other radios as legacy radios. Ouch. Ouch. All right? But I know what he means. And apparently that's a a phrase that's very common in high-tech companies, and it refers to everything other than the thing I'm working on right yeah, now. Yeah, right. Um, but, uh, but he used a couple phrases in there that really caught my eye, and it, where he talked about um, things that you could do with this technology. First of all, brick wall filters that don't ring. You know, we look at the, the shape factor of the crystal filters that we work on, and ours always have skirts. These don't have any skirts, brick walls, vertical, boom, like that, and they don't ring. And you can make them as wide or as narrow as you want. Wow, 
That's something we can't do with the with the crystals. Mm-hmm. And then no noise. You could set it up so there's you know you, obviously you're not going to be able to deal co- completely with the noise coming in from the ionosphere, but you could make it so there's no noise generated by the receiver. No noise comes out the speaker. You could know you could just get rid of it digitally. No phase noise, Pete. Clip the top of the waveform. Boom. Clip the top of the waveform. So um, these things really, from a technological standpoint, I found very appealing, especially the bit about the filters. You know, I was talking to a guy with an SDR radio, one of the enhanced single sideband guys on 40 meters, enhanced. Um, And when I told him about the rig I was using, he he said, well, you know, the shape factor on that filter, that homebrew filter of yours, must be horrendous. It kind of hurt my feelings. I didn't think it was horrendous. I thought it was pretty cute. Nice, you know? But no, if you if you get used to brick walls straight up, straight down, you don't want to hear about that skirt coming out, even if it is 40 or 50 dB down. Brick walls. Um, but So Gerald talked about that, and I started getting kind of uneasy. He also just t- talked about the the big advance in the beauty and use of the displays, the panoramic displays. Now, that is pretty cool. And even fooling around with my little dongle SDR radio, I got it set up so I could look at the entire 40-meter band. Really cool, really useful. But it, it, and, and, and Gerald is right. This marks a fundamental change in the way radio amateurs interact with the spectrum. We're so used to just tuning that dial. You know, you get on the air and you want to see, okay, what's happening on the band? So you quick do tune up, tune down. And sometimes on 17 meters, there's nothing there because the band is dead, right? But then, then after that, you don't really know, you have no idea what's yeah, so, happening. So you might have gone by a station that's just got on the air and you missed it. Right. But when you're watching the whole thing, it's always right there, yeah. which I think is, is, there's no doubt about it. It's really useful. It's really attractive. But it has its cultural downsides. And he said it. He said, of course, once you introduce this kind of display, quote, everyone becomes an OO, yeah. an official observer. Yeah, yeah and, and that's what, you know, that's what we've been observing. You know, you'll be, you'll be sitting there and you'll be trying to, I, I, I told my tale of woe, another term, I told my tale of woe about trying to get the 40-meter uh, transceiver work. And, I, and there were so many people who just noticed, it caught their eye. They were sitting there and they noticed that there was a little signal there it looked ugly, and man, they clicked on it just to let me know. So it, it does change things. Um, then the other thing that he said, I guess um, this is the, the real question, a couple questions I have about this whole thing. Um, he talked about, I mean, Eric was asking him what kind of SDR radio you should buy, and his response was that it, it depends on whether you want to be an experimenter or a user. But then I, I even had trouble thinking about, okay, the guys who say they want to be experimenters, what are they really going to experiment with? Well, they're going to experiment with the software, which is fine. But it made me think that working on these kinds of rigs is really fundamentally different from working on the kinds of rigs that we normally discuss here in a really basic way. I mean, if, if almost all the radio is in the software, then if you're experimenting with it, You've moved and you're, you're, you're experimenting with lines of code and not lines of wire, all right? Not, you know, you're, you're looking at, you know, software modules and not 
you know, transistors or SBL1s or homebrew diode ring mixers. I'm not saying one is better or worse, but it's really different. And for me, I, I just don't think I'll ever be in, maybe because of where I came from in ham radio or what I'm interested in, I don't think that I'll ever move into that, that world. Because you've got to ask yourself, how do you homebrew an SDR radio? What do you think, Pete? Well, well, let me back up, and then I'm going to answer that question for you. You're already there, Bill, with the SI-5351. You want to put a... No! Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You want to put a radio on another band? What do you do? You don't go build another VFO. You don't put a mechanical switch in there. <laughs> you hook up to the USB port on the front of your radio. And, and you made me do this, Pete Giuliano. You are responsible for this. You hook up to the USB port. You even put the USB port on the front panel just to make it easy. And you go over to the computer and, and you say, It hurts when I plug that thing in there. You, you're there. You're, you're there already. I'm, I'm partially, partially there. Partially there. <laughs> partially there. But also... Another comment, and then I'm going to answer your question. Look at the revolution that took place with single sideband. Everybody in the late 50s and 60s was on AM, and sideband got introduced, and there was this confrontation between the AMers and the single sideband guys. Now, pretty soon, everybody's on single sideband because of the obvious advantages and what have you. And then, you know, people say, yeah, yeah, Donald Duck and, you know, all this other stuff. But I think the thing is... It's going to be difficult to build a homebrew, an SDR board, just using ugly construction. I mean, it, it's it's beyond that. You you need you're working with surface mount components because many of these components that are used are surface mount. Like for instance, uh, there's well, let me go back to the article that I wrote. There are four components at the time I wrote the article. To, to an SDR system. You had, the, you had the computer, you had the software, sound card, and you had the radio itself. Well, now there are guys that are saying, you don't need the computer. You buy this board with a codec on it, and it's got everything there, and you don't have to rely on, on this computer to do all the processing because the codec is there. That's kind of hard to do unless someone has designed a board for that. So, I mean, someone sitting down with... Uh, W1REX's meat pads and saying, okay, I'm going to build an SDR radio. Mm, uh, You're going to need a board. Someone has to design a board for that because just the skill required to align all those parts and make them all. So so that's kind of tough. And even if you did the board, what you're doing is you're taking chips with, you know, millions of components and transistors in them. And you're soldering that big box, that mystery black box. You're just putting it on the board. Right. It's 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 fundamentally different from putting together a bid X where Discrete you you, you, yeah. you can understand the function of every one of those resistors and capacitors and coils. You can. And so I I, I don't know. I kind of disagree with you. I mean, I know about the shift from AM to sideband, but when you made that shift from AM to sideband, you were still working with the same kind of components. It was, a, it was more it was more advanced circuitry, but it was still possible to understand how that SSB transmitter worked or transceiver worked in the same way that you understood the AM one. It was just a, a different kind of thing. This marks a really fundamental, uh, no, a much I, more I, significant change. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree. I, I'm just likening yeah. a point in time. Now, the thing is, though, once you got one built... 
all you do is change the software. <laughs> you know, you want to add features. And yeah. I, I think what Gerald's saying is there are people that just want to get on the air. They just want to yeah. make contacts, and so that's a user. There are people yeah. that say, man, this technology is amazing. You know, I'm going to I'm gonna take this SDR receiver and make it the heart of a, some kind of a satellite communication system. That's an experimenter. Yeah. They're different right, approach. Right. Yeah. It is. It's very different, though, and it, it – I mean, I think it's clearly the shape of things to come, and I, it, it is a little bit worrisome because you you you, you wonder one day if somebody's going to say, "Hey, uh, we we should have standards." Those uh, those skirts on those filters that those guys are using are just you know unacceptable. So every skirt has to be brick wall, right? Yeah. And you know, and that that noise that's coming out of some of those oscillators, that's you know, there's no need for that because we could come up with an SDR radio where there'd be zero noise. Yeah. So let's do that, and and then. I don't know what we would do. I, I, already, I don't know. I already got that. Oh, oh, so on 40 meters, and the guy says, you know, I've been looking at you on my spectrum, and it looks like you've got a Collins mechanical filter in there, <laughs> is what he said. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, he said, you sound just like a Collins, you know, and he said, yeah, I, I can adjust the bandwidth and everything else. So that, that's terrible. I know. I'm sure that's not what Gerald has in mind, because he's a good... He's a good guy, you know, and I'm sure he recognizes the the difference. And I and, and but 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 uh, there is this kind of trend, and 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 if it becomes kind of linked with the marketing efforts of the people who want to sell these things, um, I'm again, I'm not talking about Gerald, but as you mentioned earlier, some of these uh, some of the tendencies in ham radio have always been influenced by commercial interests, yeah. as in don't build your receivers. By them, yes, yes, or yes, whoever, or Drake, yes. or whoever. Anyway, uh, interesting topic, and I, I really enjoyed the the interview that Eric did with uh, with Gerald Youngblood. Just to mention a couple of others, Eric also recently has an interview with Chuck Adams. Wow, he that was really great. Very focused on CW as Chuck is, but I think he gives a real good explanation for and, and kind of a very kind of um, understandable explanation of his love for for that mode. But then he also talks quite a bit about the Muppet boards that he has pioneered and talks about techniques for, for fabricating them. Then there was a discussion. Uh, Eric also interviewed uh, Glenn Elmore, um, who has been involved in all kinds of really interesting kind of oh, yeah. cutting-edge stuff. Drones. Using drones. Using drones to hold your, your, your antenna up above the tree line. Yeah. And, uh, man, that, it's cool. I got a picture of, of that up on the, on the blog. So... Three cheers to Eric 4Z1UG for this QSO Today podcast. We really recommend that people listen to it, especially one week from tomorrow when you, Pete Giuliano, your interview will be presented. I, I forgot I think, even I think what I said. <laughs> I'm sure it was great. Hey, um, oh yeah, one other interview I want to mention. Uh, Lady Ada has an interview with Paul Horowitz, the guy who did the art of electronics, what a great interview! Horowitz, you know, professor at Harvard, involved with uh, the SETI project, a giant in radio electronics, but also a radio amateur. Got his start as a ham. He was the the world's youngest ham at age eight. Wow! And um, and has over the years, based on the course that he taught, I think at Harvard, um, come up with the book, The Art of Electronics, and Lady Ada. There's a really great interview with him. I've got a link to it up on the on the blog. Pete, that brings us to what? You always have to remind Shameless me. Commerce Division. Hey, but before right, get, you get, do that, I want, I want to go back to Youngblood. Did you hear what a station was? He says it like fits in a drawer. 
you know, he essentially has the 6700, which is a pretty small box. And now they, they've come up with a, uh, a new tabletop thing that's wirelessly connected to that. It's called the Maestro. It looks just like a 7-inch or 10-inch uh, tablet screen. And mm. so there, there's where our hobby's going, you know. That you got something that looks like a tablet, not your whole radio station. So amazing. Uh, and, and, and it's also, I mean, it's going to be in the iPhone. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's, it's already there. Come, I mean, come come and, okay, shameless commerce division. Go ahead, Bill. Uh, listen, we're um, the SCD. Thank you, Pete, for reminding me. Um, the um, we we did an offer based on a suggestion from my wife Elisa to uh, to make the solder smoke book available at at no cost, zero, free, give it away, and we did that, and it's been a big success on Amazon Kindle. More than 500 people since we last spoke have downloaded the book, which I, I I'm really pleased with. The price is right, guys. It's it's zero. You can get it for free. Even if you don't have a Kindle, they, they'll give you a free reader. You just do the download, and we have links to it up on the Solder Smoke uh, blog. So uh, I think that's really great. It, and also, these downloads count, as far as Amazon's concerned, for sales. So this has pushed book our book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics. It is now number one. <laughs> on Amazon in the radio and electronics category. Wow, amazing! <laughs> We're number one. Amazing. Keep us up there. We'll we'll keep it at zero for a while, but uh, it's not going to stay that way for long. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna shift it back and maybe do some. Well, we're gonna do something with the price later on. I'll tell you about that later. But for now, you can get it for free. So so go for it, and I hope hope people enjoy it. And speaking of Amazon, thanks to all those who've been using the Amazon search block box that we have in the upper right-hand corner of the blog page. When you think Amazon, think Solder Smoke, all you have to do is start your search there and then cha-ching, Bezos and the suits at Amazon send us a bit of money for every one of your purchases. And this is the kind of thing that helps us keep going here. When you think Amazon, think Solder Smoke, go to the blog page, soldersmoke.blogspot.com, begin your search there. The rest will be exactly the same, <laughs> except we get the money, which is a good thing. Yeah. One more, you know, that, that ends the Shameless Commerce Division. Thank you, Pete. Book review. I don't read a lot of science fiction. I don't read a lot of fiction at all. But a book's been making the rounds been for about a year now. It's getting a lot of attention. It's got to be a, a picture, a movie. I know you're waiting for the yeah, movie. Yeah, waiting for the movie. The, Matt Damon. Martian, yeah, Matt Damon. Yeah, Martian by Andy Weir. It's a book you can get. It. I got it. I, I read it on my phone. And it, it's when you first read about it, the, the premise seems a bit far-fetched, but it works, and it's really technically detailed. There's a, and it, you you got to read this book. I mean, if you haven't, just go ahead, download it. It's, it's four or five bucks, but download it. I think you're really going to love it. The Martian by Andy Weir. Great stuff. He was interviewed by the Mythbuster guy. Ah, yes, yes. Adam Savage. Yeah. I have the link yeah. up on the podcast. And, and you know the thing that it hit me right between the eyes. He said, Everything that's in that movie is absolutely true. In other words, if they said, "Let's take this gizmo here," he said, "That's not that's not theory. That's a real gizmo." Well, like, I mean, part of it also really a lot of it the technology that described it, it covers a wide range of technology. Everything from botany, because the the guy who's stranded on Mars at, a, at, a, at our station on Mars has to survive, so he has to figure out a way to grow potatoes in Mars dirt. And that's technically accurate. 
But he gets also to the point where he has to try to reestablish radio contact with Earth. And, man, he, they describe how he does it in a very technically accurate way. And as a radio amateur, I found myself get kind of, get, no, getting kind of chills when they describe the moment where he knows that he's made the contact. And of course, this makes me think of the Elster Mathis Cup. I have over there, Pete, a map of Mars. And as I said in the book, I uh, dedicated the book to Billy and Maria, who may one day win the Elster Mathis Cup. You never know. In, Anyways, in, check out the book. In the movie clip, does he hold hold up a sign that says, Hey, I'm alive? Something, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's I, cool. Uh, it, it's, it's really cool. Yeah. You've got to check it out. Hey, I, I just want to mention, we're kind of running low on time here, we, and we have to do the mailbag this week, but I had some really amazing contacts on 17 meters with the, with the BIDX that I really want to mention. Um, and it was really kind of a one of these kind of ham radio coincidences that really take your breath away a little bit. The first contact was with Rod, W5NDS. And I was just, I had the re- receiver on, I had the BIDX on, and I heard Rod at the end of a contact, sort of towards the end of the contact, say something really caught my attention. He said that he was... Um, that, that he is a retired professor of linguistics, and his specialty was Hindi, the Hindi language. Wow. You don't hear that much on the ham bands. Um, so I gave him a call, and we got, a, got to talking, and he's a really interesting guy. Spent a lot of time in India. It was all about Hindi and Urdu and the difference between the two, and, and it was really an interesting contact. He also shared with me some of the stories that he developed from early days in radio, because he's been a ham for a very long time. Listen to that. I mentioned this to you. FT243 crystals, those big old crystals, right? We all use them. We all have them. And we all know that you can open them up and change the frequency. You can shave them down a little bit. Some people put a little bit of graphite from a lead pencil on it, move that frequency around a little bit. He told me that when they were kids, they would open them up, and they would put a thin layer of peanut butter. Peanut butter on the FT-243. Now, if it was April, I'd be thinking that he was pulling my leg. But he was serious. So let me just ask the group, especially you old-timers out there, what odd materials have you smeared on FT-243 crystals? I mean, I knew about shaving them down a little bit. I knew about the graphite. But peanut butter? That's a new one. Anyway, um, Rod was such an interesting fellow that I went to his website, and I'm looking through, reading his bio. He's a he's a he's a home brewer. He's built you know big kilowatt amplifiers, and he's been completely blind since age seven. Wow! So accomplish all that a, a, a musician, a linguist, world traveler, accomplished home brewer. Wow! I was really blown away. I went told at least and the kids over dinner all about Rod, very impressive. The next day I get on 17 meters, and I hear a guy, and he's speaking Spanish. He's got a, a strong, what I heard to be, accent from Spain, really beautiful Spanish. The signal was quite strong, and I didn't really quite catch the call, but I gave him a call, and it turned out that he was um, right here in Maryland, just 25 miles from me. We were on ground wave, and it's... Um, Raul, AE5RM. And I get to talking to Raul, and, you know, I hadn't heard him. I, I, I know a lot of the hams in the area. I never heard him on. 
and he started telling me that about his background. He said he's a professional musician. That's that's interesting. And that he has his own audio studio in his home in Maryland. That's that's interesting too. So I started asking him about what kind of music he, he plays, and he came right back. And he's an acoustic guitarist, quite accomplished, amazingly accomplished. He has played with Shakira, Stevie Wonder, Julio Iglesias, and lots of other people, and 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 travels around the world. He has a worldwide audience. So as I listened to him, I began to realize this guy's really unusual, and he's been a ham for a long time. So as I was talking to him, he mentioned his antenna. I wanted to take a look at the antenna, so I went to his website. He's got this huge tower in the backyard, and I start reading the bio, and he too is blind. Wow. All right. So I'm, I'm just about to tell him that about the contact that I had the previous day, but a station breaks in. And I couldn't catch the call sign of the station that came in, and then, but, but Raul heard him. And Raul gave him a call. Now, no, no mention had been made during the contact about, about blindness. The station that called in was Rod in W5NDS. He just happened to hear the two of us talking. Uh, and then I, <laughs> radio, the gods. radio, radio gods, radio gods, the radio gods have spoken. So I, I, I had to say to them, I, I tried to put it very delicately. I said, listen, I know something about the two of you that you don't know about each other. And I told them. And it was very interesting. I think they, they've gotten in touch. They've, they've, I mean, I think Raul was very impressed about all the things that Rod has accomplished and the travels and the linguistic studies and everything like that. But what a great pleasure. And if you guys are interested in the music, is it's Raul Midon, M-I-D-O-N, A-E-5-R-M. His music is widely available. I'm listening to him on Pandora. It's really great. It's the kind of music I, I really listen to. And when I told my my family, that he had played with Shakira and Stevie Wonder. Man, you don't run into too many rock stars. I and mean, there's Joe Walsh, but, you know, I don't, I've never talked to him. But this guy is up there in that category. So check it, check it out. Uh, Raul Midon, M-I-D-O-N, A-E-5-R-M. Great guy. Fine business radio amateur. And what a pleasure to talk to him. Yeah, super. All right. Mailbag. All right, uh, I mentioned Brent, uh, KD0GLS, congratulating me on the completion of my 57th orbit. Um, he's the guy who bestowed on me the Grand Poobah, very fine. Uh, Paul, KA5WPL, and separately Daniel, VE5DLD, both aspire to join the Colorburst Liberation Army and have been issued officially 3.579 megahertz Colorburst crystals. We anxiously await reports of their success. Is that like up to 48 now? Is that, it was Something like 48. That. 48 of them. Yeah, 48. Both of them have pledged to build these rigs and have promised to send pictures and or videos. Cool. Gentlemen, we're awaiting your reports. Um, Grayson, out in Turkey, the guy who wrote the book Hollow State Design. The tube guy. The tube guy. He, he didn't like the legacy radio comment. He saw a mention of it on my blog, and he he really didn't like it. I had to tell him, great, deep breaths. Deep breaths. 
Well, I guess you'd expect that. Um, anyway, Grace is a great fellow. We're glad to hear from him from Turkey. We got an email from uh, from New Zealand, from Wangari, Wangari, New Zealand. I think that's North Island. He said that you read the book uh, Solid State Design. I mean, not uh, read the book um, uh, Solder Smoke Global Adventures and liked it very much. And then he checked his log, and we had had a contact in 2002. I was out in the Azores running the homebrew QRP SSB rig, wow. and I. And I talked to him. Yeah, so Peter, ZL1, PWD, thanks for the feedback. A lot of back and forth, great con- great emails and stuff with Farhan uh, on, a, on a number of topics. And I think I announced, on, I, don't, I, I know I've done that since. He's come out with a really major new device, the Spican, the Spectrum Analyzer, a simple Spectrum Analyzer that he put together based in large part on a previous design by, by Wes Hayward, but with a lot of innovations using some of the more modern digital technology and it's up on his blog. I've got a link to it on my blog, but, but great stuff. And it's, it's one of these things I want to build it. This might be the next project. Yeah. Aside Either. from just building it, what a, piece, what a piece of test equipment. Oh, man, it's really fantastic. Yeah. And you learn a lot from just looking. Just, I encourage people just to look at the schematic. Even if you think you're not going to build it, you can learn a lot about test gear and, and how to analyze signals and how these things are produced. And it's really, really fantastic. Take a look. It's on it's on soldersmoke uh, blogspot dot com. It's also on Farhan's uh, blog. Now we mentioned before Eric four z one ug a lot of good back and forth with him. Always good to hear from Eric. And you will be number sixty one week from today. We mentioned also Dean. Uh, he's get his, he's getting his uh, his Tia rig uh, going, and he he had the receiver section working a while back, but now he's trying to finally get the uh, the transmitter going. And um, we gave him some advice on setting the level of the uh, output from the SI5351. That's uh, Dean, AC9JQ. Very nice. He had a beautiful cabinet. I, I like the way he did oh, the yeah. cabinet. He discouraged me from doing it. He said it was too much work. I don't know. I think it was the tap and die thing. Got him. <laughs> but with your help, I have become expert on this technique. <laughs> Let's see. Harvey, I had a great contact with Harvey, WB2LOI, about astronomy and civility. Ooh. We talked a little bit about um, old rigs, kind of the, some of the uh, intolerance that we find on the ham bands, the, the lack of civility. But, but again, I, I, we, we, we were kind of lamenting this as kind of a, a new development. But when you think about it, it's been around for uh, a long time. Remember the guy on, on AM? You were probably back here on the East Coast at the time. Remember the guy who always used to say, no kids, no lids, no space cadets. Yes. Yeah. Yep. That wasn't exactly friendly no. or civil. So it's been around for a while. Gene Shepard also, in one of his stories, talks about how when he was having trouble with his 160-meter rig, one of the, uh, the, the old-timers kind of took pleasure in taking him down. Well, didn't you have your, your rig is not ready, your QRP rig's not ready for prime time? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. This is nothing new. That's yeah. what I'm saying. It goes, yeah. it goes way back. So I guess that I guess that's comforting. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, uh, great, great to talk to Harvey. Then um, Eric, Eric in Estonia uh, sent us a, a nice donation. No, it's um, Erki, Erki in Estonia. Thanks very much, Erki. We got it, and that, that helps a lot. Thank you, Brian, uh, KV4ZS out there in um, I think it's in um, in, in Western Virginia. Uh, in Charlottesburg, has, um, wor- is working on his LBS direct conversion receiver. And 
I really want him to get this one done so he could use it. And he's kind of stuck. He, he's kind of, I don't know, he's, there's only a few stages in there, but he's he's got a problem, I think, in the interface between the, um, the, the, the VFO and the mixer. I don't know. We got to get him going. Oh yeah, uh, Brian, work with us. We want to. We want to. Want to get that thing receiving, inhaling. We mentioned Jim W eight NSA. Uh, he, his his relays saved the day. I also mentioned to Jim that he had promised to build the uh, the the smoke generator oh, yeah. add-on yeah. for the LT Spice, yeah. and the the ham radio community act, act you know awaits that anxiously because wouldn't it be great that if you you put something in there in LT Spice and it and it and it burns up the part that Actual smoke shoots out the back of the computer. Yeah. No, that, <laughs> that's, on, real, that's real feedback. <laughs> that's it. You know, you can make a lot of money yeah, on that. Yeah. <laughs> Increase the realism. Yeah. <laughs> Colin M one B U U, our friend over there in uh, in northern England, making beautiful boxes oh. for his KD one JV CW rig. Man, I mean, Colin is an artist in the cabinet part. You know, department. you know what? You know what was so neat about that? Cool blue color. That his son picked yeah, out. Yeah, cool blue color. There you go. Selected by his son. Yeah. He, he did it because of his son's favorite color. Talk about soul in the new machine. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, Colin. Excellent stuff. Now, Tim, also from England, this from southern England, from southwest, uh, Tim Walford, for years, has been putting out this wonderful pu- publication called Hot Iron. I love it. He sends it to me. It's great stuff. I read it on the Metro. I talk about it a lot. Good stuff. A lot of tribal knowledge in there. And I've always hoped and wished that Tim would expand it beyond the print production because he, I think he prints out all the copies and mails them out. And he's finally made the switch, and he's gone with, to an e-version of it. And he sent me the first e-version. It looks beautiful. And he said that anybody who wants to receive it should send him an email. So just Google him, Tim Walford and uh, Ham Radio. You'll find it. You'll find his email. Send him an email. He'll put you on the list. You'll really, you'll really like this. Did you, and, did you know he had a, another business besides ham radio equipment? What's that? He, he's a farmer. He's got all these I know. cows. He's got all these cows. <laughs> well, no, and it's it's great too because the hot iron frequently be, it always begins with a short article about him, and he always mentions what he's doing with the farm. Yeah, he's got a farm. And he, no, he's a, the guy is a Renaissance man. It's fantastic, yeah. and I, I love it. I love reading about the farm and the animals and everything else. And then he very quickly moves into the radios. He's got this great line of kits, yeah. wonderful kits, including a lot of double sideband rigs. Yeah, send him an email. Get on the list. You really want to get this thing. And finally, um, uh, on my list anyway, Chris Waldrop. Uh, sent me some spreaders for open feed lines, so I feel I'm feeling the pressure. You got to build feed open line. wire line. Got to build the feed line. Got to do it. Got to fill the feed line. This might get me on 80 meters. You, you, you know, it's worth a mention here about uh, Chris, and and I think that this is really neat. Where someone looks at something and says, you know, that could be used for ham radio. Th- those spreaders are used on electric fences, aren't they? Yep, they got, got it a farm supply. Farm supply. Yep. <laughs> so and it's really, it's really, really nice. Yeah. And it's keep, just exactly the right length keep, and everything keep else. Keep your eye open. You never know what's around the corner has application in our wonderful hobby. Improvisation. That's what. Uh, that's what Glenn Elmore. Going back to that interview, one quote that I want to say. He one thing that really I, I stopped the, the the recording and wrote it down. He says, "Go try it. You might be onto something." Yeah. Yeah. Experiment. Try it out. Give it a go. Yep. Don't be deterred by spec sheets yeah. and warnings. 
Try it. You'll lo- you might like yep. it. That's what that's what uh, Howard Armstrong said. You know, he said that progress is made by people who lug heavy batteries and equipment <laughs> around the shack and yeah. try things out. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. On that note, Pete Giuliano, we're way over time. Ooh, yeah, it's been great. We are. I'll, I'll Any final sure. words of wisdom for the uh, solder smoke audience? Well, I, I think that, that that's a very good point. You know, uh, ours is a wonderful hobby, so uh, try some things sometimes and, uh, you know, be careful about it. Don't smoke the parts, but if you noodle your way through it, uh, you may find that some new application is just absolutely perfect for what you're trying to do. So keep an open mind. Indeed. Very good. Indeed. Thanks very much, Pete. Yeah, seven threes from the West Coast. Seven three from Northern Virginia. Okay, we'll see you, Bill. Ciao. Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Soldersmoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Soldersmoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Soldersmoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at CafePress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well... We have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!